Welcome to Conversations for the Animals. I am Lisa Tynan with Houston Pet Set, and I am joined today by my former colleague, stand-up guy, Adam Reynolds, who is the chief investigator for the uh, Houston SPCA Cruelty Division. And uh, I'm excited about today uh, because having been in animal welfare for a very long time, one of the things I've always sort of noticed is that people don't really understand the process of what happens when there is a cruelty report and why isn't everybody in jail, I think is the number one question. Like, why isn't this person in jail because he did this crime? So um, today we're going to do the the how a bill becomes a law version of filing a cruelty report. And and I'm hoping you can explain to us sort of from point A to point jail or whatever the outcome is, um, what happens when somebody calls and uh, and so- sometimes what doesn't happen and sure. why it doesn't happen, because uh, I know that is a big question. Um, so for starters, I do want to just so that people are aware, there are two main anti-cruelty sort of divisions here in our region. There's the Houston SPCA and then there's the Harris County Animal Cruelty Task Force. You are separate but you are both beholden to the same laws and processes yes. and procedures, right? So what we are talking about is specific to the SPCA, but can be kind of generalized out. Absolutely. Okay, fabulous. So that now that we have that under in, in our brains, that, that will help us go through. So before we dive into that, um, Maureen, tell us about how you fell into animal welfare, because I have a feeling this was not where you saw yourself ending up necessarily. Yeah, so mine's kind of a funny story. Um, you know, I retired from the Marine Corps after 21 years. Uh, wanted to come back to Texas more than anything. Um, I have uh, degrees in Homeland Security and Safety and Security Leadership. So, you know, knew that I was going to go into government work. Uh, but at that time, when I retired, it was during sequestration. So okay. there weren't a lot of government jobs to be had. Uh, so the easiest way to meet, for, to, the easiest way for me to come back to Texas was oil and gas. Uh, I took a job with a company as a security and environmental consultant where I would uh, respond to uh, natural and man-made disasters and help them mitigate through that, um, as well as, you know, throw on a suit and do PowerPoints to big oil and tell them how to protect themselves from international and domestic terrorism, um, which was right up my alley. It was an enjoyable job. um, But I realized after five years, I really just missed the team aspect. Okay. Um, I, I, I missed, you know, me as a solo act. It was kind of boring. Um, so, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, sending out feelers, um, but do not remember ever applying to the Houston SPCA. Uh, I'm still convinced to this day that my wife hacked my account and sent a resume uh, because she watched Animal Cops Houston every day and would tell me about it. And, you know, the show broke my heart and I would tell her there's no way I could ever do that job. That job is, you know, just so mentally and emotionally draining. Um, But out of the blue, I got an email. Um, So I came, I interviewed. uh, They asked me back for a second interview. Um, When they did, uh, they invited me into the boardroom and all of the investigators were there and they interviewed me. Um, I had and no idea. That's when I was hooked. Um, yeah. I inherited a team of five. We built it to a team of ten, um, and I am blessed to go to work every day with with incredible teammates uh, that are trying to do their best to help out the city and the surrounding counties. And it's uh, for off the top of your head, like, did everybody? Did the people who you work with also come from non-animal backgrounds? I mean, I've I found that to be true in a lot of animal welfare. With some exceptions, and I feel like 
a lot of cruelty investigators were either in animal control or were vet techs or in some way involved with animals. Yeah, you know, it's a weird split. Um, you know, I have investigators that went to Texas A&M as animal science majors. Um, I have investigators that are prior military, mm -hmm. um, three of those. I have ones that were studying to be vet techs and just kind of moved up. I have ones that, you know, grew up in the Houston SPCA that started out in call center and yeah. animal care specialists and moved their way, you know, through the ambulance and then to us. Um, so it's a really weird mix. Uh, but somehow we all get along. Somehow it, it works. Well, that's <laughs> it. It has to be. It has to be a team, um, because I guess because of the way that the cruelty process works. You know, it's sure. you're, no man is an island here, Absolutely. or no woman is an island. So you you all are very much working together. Um, so I I want to start start at the beginning, um, because so many people know that you exist, um, but don't know how to get to the you know how to file a cruelty report how to get the knowledge that they have so let's say i am susie homeowner and i look out my window and i can see into my neighbor's backyard and i see a dog and i said hmm, that dog looks a little bit that looks skinnier than it should be and i keep an eye on it and i see for three days in a row nobody's come out and nobody's fed that dog so if i'm susie what's my first step because i know a lot of times people are like well there, somebody should do something sure and then they don't know what to do yeah, and we rely on those people. Um, yeah. You know, the first thing I would say is absolutely file a report. Even if there's a question, file the report. We'll go out if it's not, you know, something that's, you know, in, in violation of Texas state law. That's okay, too. Yeah. But at least we have the report and at least we we, we try to intervene or, you know, to, to investigate to see right. if it is something. It's erring on the side of caution. Sure, absolutely. Case. And we understand that. And we, you know, yeah. we, we take all those cases with a grain of salt and we're not you know, we're not upset or disappointed when we get there and it's, you know, it's <laughs> There's no cruelty. nobody's getting arrested on the side. That's OK, too. At least we're you know, we're 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 checking out and that's that's what we do. OK. And so in order to file a report, do I call? Do I go online? How do I get in touch with your team? Yes to all. all so of the above. so you can, um, you know, most of our come in through our call center. Uh, so, you know, 713-869-7722, you call the number, uh, you'll speak to an operator who will take all your information and then they will create a case and then pass that to the investigator that's closest to that area. Okay. Um, you can also go online and follow cruelty report. We, we love those as well. Uh, that goes directly to the investigator for that area. Um, you know, but we also have you know, there's other ways that the, that information comes into. Um, sometimes it's social media posts, and okay. you know we have a team that's you know constantly watching social media. And when they see you know these these things that seem to uh, almost go viral, then they let us know so okay. we can go take a look. Um, I get letter mail every now and then. Really, I do. Um, and and some of them are actually you know they're they're legit cases. Um, you know, we work closely with local law enforcement, mm -hmm. so, you know, sometimes they call us directly. Uh, but that, you know, there's there's a multitude of ways that that information comes in to create the initial report. And so you said, you know, each investigator has an area, so it's broken up by So we do county? We do key maps. Key maps, So okay. if you remember the old days, old in, days in the gas station with the maps, yeah, yeah. we still do it that way because that's the way law enforcement does it too. Mm -hmm. And and the appraisal district divides that up as well. So we, we try to stick to that. Um, so, yeah, each of my investigators has their chunk of Southeast Texas, um, and then they all have a district partner that's also watching their cases on the days that they're off. Okay. Um, sadly, they always want a day off. So, how dare know. they want to take a break? <laughs> and how far does this net go? It's not just Harris County, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's Harris County and the seven surroundings. So as far north, you know, Liberty Montgomery, all the way down to Galveston, and then west to Fort Bend, 
Um, but we also try to, I mean, we will, we'll help anybody, you know, as far as our donating dollars will take us. Um, so, you know, we, just last week we were in Houston County in Crockett, Texas, so an hour and a half away. Um, but we got a call and, you know, we could help, we could, you know, we could muster up the people and the equipment and to get up there and help. And and I think it was a good thing that we did. That's good to know. So the next step then, so I have called and I have filed a report and it has gone to one of your investigators. What is the first thing that that investigator is going to do? Are they, is the first thing is they get the address, they look at it and they say, all right, and they load up their car and they go? In a perfect world, sure. Uh, but remember that all of my investigators right now probably have a caseload of 50 to 75 cases. Active um, cases at Active one time. cases. Okay. Um, so we need to triage our cases each day to make sure that we get the medical issues and the abandonment issues. Uh, but we will respond to every case that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be, you know, the second that it comes in, um, but we will get to it and we will respond even even the ones that we think, oh, it's just, you know. It might be it, an education case. It, absolutely. And, and we're fine with that. I mean, that's, you know, honestly, that's the way, you know, we envision the program. It's a program of education first. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to involve law enforcement and get a warrant and remove animals. And, right. you know, we want you to follow Texas state law. Sure. And that's, that's it. So if, when you're talking about triaging, obviously at the very top is animals who are on the verge of, are sure. in imminent danger, right? Absolutely. So, so kind of move down the list, if you could, about what we view as immediate need and then to something that you'll sure. get to eventually. So that's, you know, we call it, you know, the, the medical cases, obviously, you know, ones that are, you know, injured, actively bleeding, you know, uh, all of those are a high priority. Okay. You know, there, there are lots of high priorities, but we try to, you know, yeah. we, we try our best. Um, you know, animals that have been abandoned. So animals that are inside, locked inside a residence that have no way to get food or water. Okay. Those are a high priority as well. Um, you know, hoarding cases, ones that are in cruel confinement, animals that, that are trapped or locked inside, you know, horrible living conditions. Um you know, then there's the, you know, the, the shelter calls, the, the food water shelter mm-hmm. um, that we get a lot of, you know, those are, you know, probably a little bit less down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, the longer that they wait, the right. more important they become. Um, so we try and not to let, you know, a lot of time elapse in between those as well. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's again, there's not every day is never the same. The right. list of cases are never the same, but, you know, we, we try to triage each one. And not only that, but, you know, all of the investigators were all looking at each other's cases as well. So if, you know, if one is having a slow day of food, water, shelter calls, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of medical, well, then we'll just shift focus and, and get somebody out there immediately. So. Okay. Cause I know, you know, we, uh, in previously I would see these, but also we see these on, on Facebook a lot where someone will say, you know, I called the SPCA or called the task force and nobody's come out. Is there like a general length of time you tell somebody like, We'll we, try to get to it within X number of Yeah, days, we try not hours. to make, we try not to overpromise. Yeah. Um, and the call center usually does a pretty good job of explaining that to, to the complainants. Yeah. They, it's order of, of when they come in and importance and all that. There's sure. a lot going into it. Okay, so now we've decided what cases, they have a list of cases. They say, okay, the first one I'm going out to see is X. When they get there, you know, we, sh- we should preface this by saying cruelty investigators are not police officers. Correct. Right. So when they get there, what what do they do? What can they do? What can't they do when they're on somebody's property? Sure. So, you know, in a perfect world where, where Adam gets whatever he wants, um, <laughs> it would look something like, you know, a knock at the door, an adult answers the door. Yeah. And I explain to them who I am, who I'm with and why I'm there. Um, I can't, you know, and I, I very politely, can I please see 
your animal. I can't make you. I can't mm-hmm. push my way in. You know, I, I have a badge and a license as a private investigator in the state of Texas, but that gives me zero added authority. Right. Um, for that matter, if I was a sworn peace officer, I don't have probable cause. So I can't do that either. Okay. Um, so we just, you know, we're, we're there to gather evidence. So surprisingly, most people will, you know, let us in, let us see the animal. Um, if we do, uh, we will typically, you know, again, it, all cases are different, but typically we would leave a notice. Um, we would leave a detailed list of the things that we see okay. that are in violation of Texas state law, whether that's penal code or health and safety code, um, and then give them a path towards compliance. You know, this animal is very skinny. It needs to be seen by a licensed veterinarian. Yeah. You know, you should do that within three days. You should follow all vet recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we schedule a follow-up okay. um, to provide them that time to accomplish that. So they... If somebody is home, obviously, this is your sure. perfect world. Um, we know that's not always the case. Sure. So if you roll up and you can't see an animal, sure. you have no someone has filed a complaint and you cannot lay eyes on those animals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you, you post a notice on their door. How frequently are we coming back and checking up on that animal? How often do we try until we say, look, we just couldn't gain entry and we don't know? Yeah, so typically we'll leave what we call a notice to call. It's okay. a little bit a smaller version of a notice. Uh, because we didn't see any violations. Okay. Um, and the notice will simply state, you know, this is who I am, who I'm with, and why I'm there, uh, and to please contact us. Um, if if we don't see an animal, it, it gets more difficult. Right. It, it's really much easier, and there are more options. If we can see the animal and you're not wanting to engage in a conversation. Right. Um, but again, it's, you know, we, we, we post a notice, we follow up. We'll post a notice, typically a second notice, and follow up. Um and then depending on, you know, the, the depending on the complaint uh, will depend on if we, you know, involve law enforcement to where we can start, you know, maybe find a phone number, find a way to get a hold of them okay. um, to try to see. But honestly, if, if we don't see anything, if there's nothing to see, then that's going to take a lower priority because right. um, it's harder to. It's going to be harder to push. So if I'm, I'm going back to my alternate persona of Susie Homemaker, if I have witnessed mm-hmm. the state of this animal and I'm the person who made the complaint, it's probably good if I can get some sort of photo or video Absolutely. to send you, right? Can you act on that even if you are not able to get eyes on that? Uh, well, not necessarily we would act. We would still do our same process, but it would definitely help law enforcement and okay. their decision if they decide to to pursue it to go further. Okay. So then let's that let's take that next step then. So – if let's say you have gotten eyes on the dog or you haven't, but you know you've got evidence that something is happening since you are not police officers, yes. what does what is their role? Because you do you do you have affiliated uh, police officers who work just with you? Yeah. So we have two contract deputies through Precinct One Constable's office um, and they assist us on all scenes uh, where we need their assistance. Okay. Um, licensed private investigators. We're not sworn peace officers, so I don't carry a weapon and mm-hmm. I don't I don't get warrants. Um, so that's what they're there for, to protect us in the more dangerous scenes and then also to get warrants if it's deemed necessary. Um, so that's that next step. And typically, again, you know, typical case after that second visit, if they've refused to comply, mm-hmm. usually after that second visit, we're having the conversation with law enforcement. We're showing them all the photos that we've taken. We're showing any evidence that's been provided by the, the complainant, um, giving them our sworn affidavit of what we see. And then based off of that then they'll make the decision, okay, let's go get a warrant. Right. So this is this is the point, I think, where a lot of animal lovers get a little bit lost in the process. Um, because 
what what you know, us as the average animal lover looks at and sees as an emergency situation isn't necessarily con considered an emergency under the law. But there are circumstances, you know, exigent circumstances sure. where those animals can be seized right away. What are what's the process like to actually get an animal removed from okay. a situation? Well, let's start with the exigent. Um, exigent means that I believe and I can articulate in words that I believe that animal is going to die okay. in the time that it takes the deputies to get a warrant, which is about an hour and a half. Okay. Um, so that's, I mean, that's if, urgent. If, yes. Okay. If, if I'm there and I see this and I get a deputy to come out because I can't do it just myself, right? Uh, but with a deputy on scene, then we can use any means necessary to get that animal okay. into a vehicle to get it back to the, the shelter to get it seen by our veterinary team. Okay. Um, that's a lot of power to have, and we never want to abuse that. Yeah. Um, so those cases are, you know, not few and far between. I mean, we do have a number of them, but that's, again, something that is, I feel very delicate that we need to, mm -hmm. you know, make sure that everything is done exactly the way it should be to to not abuse that that power. Right. Well, that's for law enforcement to abuse that power. For sure. That so if there if it is not exigent circumstances, sure. though, though you still need a warrant. Absolutely. Unless the owner signs them over. <clears throat> Correct. So, okay. again, you know, with the priority being education um, and if education is not working, you know, maybe they we can convince them and, under, you know, help them to understand that uh, the circumstances that their animals are currently in is not ideal. Right. And that maybe the best thing for them is to surrender them to a shelter where they can get proper veterinary care and get healthy and then get adopted. You know, that would be the focus. Um, when that doesn't work, uh, then we have to have a warrant to remove property, which okay. animals are property in the state of Texas. Um, we always use a civil seizure warrant in order to do that, not a criminal search warrant. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, especially when we take the you know, Texas A&M vet students out every week, you know, I tell them, if you're excited about, you know, watching somebody kick a door in, <laughs> you know, and do all the stuff that you see on TV, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a civil seizure warrant because um, civil seizure warrants are covered under Health and Safety Code 821. That means that that case has to be heard by a judge within 10 days. Okay. Um, they get one chance for an appeal and then that's it. So we're, you know, with the, the animal's best interest in mind, you know, it's in our care and custody 21 days, then it can get adopted. And it can get adopted. So, and and you you sped past it, but you mentioned the Texas A and M vet students. So, the Houston SPCA has a partnership with Texas A and M yes. College of Veterinary Medicine, where these veterinary students come and do a two week mandatory rotation, and part of that time they get to spend with y'all. And yep. the benefits of that are that they get to see how animals live. Yeah. And yeah, they get to see it real world. And, yeah. you know, we can describe, you know, things when we come back to the shelter with these animals. But, you know, honestly. Till you've I mean, walked into a hoarding house. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's hard to describe. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, again, uh, we were in, in Crockett, Texas on, on Friday last week. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was deplorable conditions. And it's, you know, words don't describe it. I mean, we have to take video and still photographs. And even that, it doesn't really do yeah. it justice until you're standing in there. Okay, so back to our bill becoming a law. So now that you have you've somehow the animals come into your custody, whether it be through owner surrender or through um, the leaving notice, going back, getting a warrant, or through exigent circumstances. Sure. Now you have the animal. Okay. What's the next step? So the first step when the animal comes in is to get it seen by our awesome veterinary staff. Um, you know, they get a cruelty exam, so it's you know it's a you know nose to tail 
everything exam because we're going to need, you know, that animal and the information that we get from that animal is going to be probably the best piece of evidence that we will ever gather that mm -hmm. we can put before either a judge or, you know, maybe eventually a jury. Right. Um, and we only get one shot at that. So, you know, our concern or our priority then is the processing of evidence, getting all that information, and then, um, you know, getting the, the, the care that that animal needs. Um, and they'll be in that, you know, they'll be in that, that phase uh, through the civil hearing, which again, you know, the case has to be heard within 10 days. Um, if they, <clears throat> if we go to court, and the owner, uh, you know, will not agree to the order, uh, then we'll wait another 10 days for them to file for an appeal. Once that time has passed, then the animal is legally ours. Mm -hmm. And now we can, you know, get it healthy, get it adoptable and, and get it out there. So while they're in the care of the veterinary staff, what are they able to do and what can't they do? Because there's sure. technically their evidence, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, they're not our animals yet. So they can do anything they need to do to care for that animal. So obviously, you know, everything from feeding uh, to getting, uh, you know, necessary treatments in order to get them uh, healthy. Um, we can't do elective surgeries, so we can't do spay neuters. Um, you know, anything that's kind of like in that in that gray area of, you know, not just keeping the animal alive, mm -hmm. um, we're not allowed to do because it's not our animal yet. So, you know, if you have the animals, because if, if anyone has seen photos of animals that come from hoarding cases, they're generally in very poor body condition, matted head to toe, mm -hmm. curled toenails. Mm -hmm. Some of that is considered like emergency medical care. Absolutely. So they can do emergency grooming, but yes. not just like, oh, the dog smells kind of bad or the right. cat's got some matting. Yeah. Yeah. It will it will get any of that uh, that's obviously necessary, mm -hmm. you know, especially when we see the, you know, even you know, we talk about nails, nails that are growing so into long the that pad. they're into the pads. Yeah. Um, matting. Matting is severely painful. So they will get, you know, a shave and a haircut and, you Two know, bits. there you go. So it, obviously it's not just dogs and cats. Sure. We use an SPCACs, all types, right? And, we do. And, and anyone who's ever watched Animal Cops, horses, cattle, pigs, all of those come in. Are the rules different for livestock animals? The only difference for livestock rules are if it's a stray. Um, there's a longer okay. stray period for horses. Um and honestly, we don't see that many strays, uh, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but that's really the only difference. We still use the same warrant, the same tactics, the same, the same framework um, to seize any kind of animal. Any kind of animal. The biggest difference there being what constitutes inhumane treatment is different for livestock and non-livestock animals. Like sheltering. Yeah. Wise. So yeah. yeah. So when people, you know, people like to call and say, you know, there's a horse outside and it doesn't have, you know, it's not in a barn. Well. Texas state law doesn't say it has to have. It yeah. has to have a windbreak. Um, it still has to have access to food and water, but a horse outside, you know, just outside is not. Sort of what they do. It's livestock. Yeah. Okay. So now, now we've got our animals in the care of the Houston SPCA and the hearings happen. So they, they do go in front of a civil judge, a civil a court. A JP judge, yeah. Um, what is happening? Are the, you know, we're, if we're closing our eyes and picturing law and order. Sure. What's what's actually happening in the courtroom? So I'll take you before that happens. Oh, yes. Uh, before we even go in front of the judge, we'll go into a deliberation room. Uh, we'll sit down with ourselves. Uh, I usually bring the Texas A&M vet students, the deputies that are with us, uh, and the county attorney. We will all sit in a very tiny room, um, and we'll wait to see who shows up. Yeah. Um, if you show up to your hearing, we're going to bring you back. The county attorney kind of takes over the show, uh, and he explains to them what's happening. Um, you know, people people get a warrant and people get a summons to come to court and they really, you know, some, some don't know. I probably wouldn't know. Um, so he explains to them, 
know, this is a civil hearing. This mm-hmm. is not a criminal case. You know, right now you're being sued. The county is suing you for two things. We're suing you for ownership of the animal. Okay. The Houston SPCA wants that animal to be divested from you to the Houston SPCA. And then also the cost of care. What did it take for us to pay to care for that animal from the time of the seizure until five o'clock that afternoon? After that, all costs incurred go to the Houston SPCA and we're fine with that. Um, those are the two things that we're looking for. Um, and then the county attorney explains like, here's here's your options. You can agree to that order, mm-hmm. which is what we really want. Um, you know, we'll put you on a payment plan you know, with no interest. Um, and then the animal can you know, start get immediately getting that care. Um, but you know, sometimes they don't, you know, yeah. and they and they want to go in for a judge, and that's their right, and that's fine. Um, if we do, the real, the other reason why we really like the agreed order is that waives a right for an appeal, so we don't have to wait, you know, the ten more days. Right. We, we can immediately start doing all those other things to get the animal healthy. Um, maybe I'd say out of our cases, maybe a third of them go into that category where people will just agree to the order okay. and go on. Um, the other option is you don't agree to either one of the two options or just in general, um, you know, I'll gladly pay you the money, but you know, I want my dog back mm. in that case. And that's your right. And we're going to go in front of a judge. Okay. Um, we will put on our case. And when I'm done, you can ask me questions. Um, then we give you a chance to present your case and we're going to ask you questions. And then the judge makes their decision. Um, if the, if they don't like the judge's decision, that's when the clock starts ticking. They've okay. got 10 days to file for an appeal. Um, or if they don't file for an appeal, we wait that 10 days. As soon as that 10 days is up, we usually call to verify just to make sure you know, right. that, that they didn't. And uh, then we can release that animal from court hold and proceed on. To whatever its outcome is. Um, are, are Do you generally find that people are rolling up with an attorney, with witnesses, or is it a little I, – I don't I'm, – I'm not trying to paint it in a negative light, but it's a little bit David versus Goliath sometimes because sure. you roll up with some experts. Yeah. yeah. So and we, and we do it. Yeah. Five times a week. Yeah. Um, we do see um, people do come there with an attorney. Um, I will say the majority of the ones who come with an attorney, either one of two things, either they believe that this is a criminal trial and not a civil trial and oh, okay. they haven't really fully explained it to their the lawyer that's, that's come in or, um, uh, you know, it's it's the uh, they want to test out the case before they in their mind, they know it is going to go criminal. And maybe they just want to test the okay. case out. Um, so we'll, we'll see a lot of that as well. So what would push a case into criminal? Is that just if it's a felony charge of cruelty or what, what makes something civil versus criminal? Well, after we file everything civilly, then we take all that information and we create a criminal packet. It's okay. really the same information that we use in our civil case because – I don't like doing the same work twice. <laughs> why so why, right. just do it once really well. Yeah. And then we'll use that same information. Uh, so we take our information along with the, the deputy's information. We compile it into a packet and we give it to our ADA and we let her make the decision. Okay. You know, do you think this meets the criteria for a criminal case? And many of them do. They do. So that power kind of rests. Obviously, the evidence is important, but the power rests in the ADA's hands. The ast- yeah. assistant district attorney is uh, and this is just forgive my ignorance, but is there one for is this county? Is that what is their jurisdiction? And are is there a different person in every area, every courthouse that you go to? It's usually there's at least one in Harris County. We have two, well, a primary and a secondary. Okay, um, and they hear all of the animal cruelty cases okay. for Harris County. Each county 
has their other has their one as well. Okay, so it's a county role. Yes. Do you find? I feel like I already know this answer. Do you find that different counties have sort of a different commitment level, a more willingness or versus a reluctance to accept these as criminal cases? You don't have to throw anyone yeah, under the bus, but you know, I I would say maybe when I first started, I felt like that was the case. Um, I think people get it now. Well, that's I think, positive. I think you know, and especially you know, and and maybe maybe it's because we we walk them through mm. all of the steps to explain to them, you know, here's here's why it is a big deal. Um, I, I would say everything, everybody's doing a much better job. Of course, some more than others, um, you know, more rural communities, you know, they just have a different precept about right. livestock animals. But, you know, when we're able to explain to them the severity of it and explain to them that it is a violation of Texas state law, we, we try to end every single hearing with, and you as a professional witness, would you say that mm-hmm. this is an event of animal cruelty? And the answer is yes. Yeah. So you should do the right thing. Done and done. So then if I, you know, again, going back to, to Susie Homemaker, how, how, I don't want to say invested, but like how likely would it be th- that my case that I believe to be animal cruelty is actually going to rise to the level of animal cruelty that, that yeah. we're talking about here? I mean, not every case is a criminal case. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean. I don't know if I can put a number on it, but yeah. but but knowing that we we try to explain the why. Okay. You know, because again, you know, what does a response look like? A, res- a, a successful response in our eyes can be anywhere from, you know, you didn't have a shelter. We explained to you, Texas state law says you need to have a shelter. Yeah. We found you a shelter. And now, now your you dog has a shelter. Yeah. Okay. Um, success. That's success. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that your dog doesn't have a shelter and I'm going to come and I'm going to take it and then say you can never own a dog again. Right. Maybe that's not successful. Right. So the spectrum is going to be somewhere in between there. And, you know, we're, we're, we try to work with both the complainant and the suspect. From the complainant's point of view, and we a couple episodes back, we had some uh, cruelty investigators from the task force, you know, and, and the process to file a report is ever so slightly different. I mean, I know they allow theirs to be anonymous Y'all prefer you don't allow anonymous reports, correct? Well, we do. You do. Okay. We do allow anonymous reports, um, but we always we still ask for your phone number because right. we want the investigator to have a chance to speak with you. Right. Maybe there's something that we didn't catch in the call center, uh, or maybe something else has you know come up in the case and we have a question about it. So we'd like to be able to contact that person. But if you file online, I mean, you can still file anonymously, make, and, make and that's it. Yeah, um, and. We, I, I know for a fact that people like to follow their case. Mm-hmm. What once I filed a cruelty report, what do I get to know about what's happened? So we we try to explain that we're not going to provide updates. You're on not going to call and say so. Today I'm, we went to court. Right. Yeah. Um, we're not going to do that, and, and it's for you know a few reasons. One is to pertain, you know, to, or to to maintain the integrity of the case. Sure. Um, you know. But also, I we understand the need to know that something's happening. Right. Um, it's kind of a fine line, right? So, I mean, sometimes, sometimes people will call, file a complaint, and then you know, a week later, there's a phone call of like nobody's doing anything. Yeah. Um, and I take those phone calls, I pull up the case, um, and I can see, I can see the you know, because my investigators fill all of their stuff out with all their visits, and I, I try to explain to them. Again. Education first. Yeah. 
but also know that you know the the case is still open, that an investigator is pursuing it, and that you know we're going to get a positive outcome. Whether that whether whether that looks positive to you, right. um, it may not mean the removal of an animal, but it may be having the animal not be uh, uh, outside of compliance with the law. Right, and I think that's you you took it exactly. We teed me up right here. I think one of the hardest things as an animal lover is to separate what we believe to be the ideal living conditions for an animal versus what Texas state law sure. dictates. And y'all have to operate within Texas state law. Personal right. feelings aside, Absolutely. everything has to be done within what Texas has said is mm -hmm. humane shelter, which is why the the Safe Outdoor Dogs Act was so great, because yes. now it actually defines yes. what is shelter. Yes. So you can walk into a backyard and say for sure that dog does not have adequate shelter according to the law, mm -hmm. not just according to how Your I would house chained it. chained up dog underneath an old car not is shelter. not shelter. Um, <sighs> before, before that law, I mean, we still help. We... We still held our belief on what shelter is, three solid sides, a solid roof, and a solid floor. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the law said, you know, it did not it did not easily define what shelter is. It was a very gray area. So, yeah, um, yeah the law was that, – that bill was great. It, it did. It, did it enables you all to do your jobs and also helps the pet owners and the animal lovers of the community be able to see something and know right off the bat. Yeah, that dog has been sitting out in the rain in a wire crate. That's not shelter. I know right. that for sure. And now I can call and file a report. Yes. Um, so I guess the last thing would be, you know, if I'm a this, <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one, too. But if I have filed a report on, you know, a dog or a cat or a horse that I have seen and I've kind of been tracking it and maybe I've called and I, I suddenly I see it come up available for adoption mm -hmm. on the on the website. Can I adopt the animal that I reported cruelty on? Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing that, there's says, nothing you that says you can't. Um, you know, my take on that would be, uh, let's go through that same scenario. You're mm -hmm. next door neighbor and you file the report and now you've removed that animal from their property and now it's living successfully on the neighbor's property. Yeah. Um, I think that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the homeowners but, association going to hear about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's nothing, nothing mm -hmm. stopping you. Just an interesting thing. So animal cruelty, obviously a bad thing. We have a lot of phenomenal animal cruelty investigators. We have animal control. We have a lot of people working out there, working together. Um, and it's heartening to know that you exist, but obviously there are a limited, you said you have 10 cruelty investigators for how many square miles? I haven't even calculated. I don't even know. It's a lot. Eight counties <laughs> that you're covering. So, you know, one of the things that I guess we would ask of listeners and viewers is to just kind of have an understanding of the scope of what is going on. And, um, you know, I, I hear it as a person who manages social media for in the past for the SPCA, but now for Houston Pet Set, you know, a lot of what we see is, well, they just don't care. They're just not doing anything about it. But having spoken to y'all and having spoken, having spoken to the task force, we know that's not the case. Um, there's just a lot of animal cruelty happening. There is. And everybody's very busy and trying to respond to these calls as fast and as efficiently as possible. Um, so I, I think just hopefully what everyone has taken away from this process is that there is there there is a process. There is a procedure. I thought of what it was. Pause. Remember. OK. So one thing that uh, I have experienced 
personally in in my profession um, is people intervening before mm. cruelty investigators yes. have a chance to get there. Um, and I know just from my experience that that can ruin the whole case, right? Yes. If So what can somebody do and what can't they do? Like, can I throw food onto the other side of a fence? Is that just ruined the entire appearance of animal cruelty? Maybe not ruined. Um, you know, when, it, when we're talking to an animal that is in severe neglect, um, you know, it's not going to, to necessarily ruin the case. Okay. We would prefer that you didn't. Okay. Um, you know, if it's that severe, then, you know, we will be out there and we will, you know, before even before we throw treats, we want to get, you know, our our investigation, collect our evidence before that happens. Okay. Um, also knowing that like, if we're talking about an animal that's in severe neglect, uh, you know, BCS of a one, you know, and you start chucking a lot of food that's also not that healthy for the animal too yeah. they need to be on a refeeding plan to yeah. slowly uh bring them back up to weight so we would prefer you didn't mm -hmm. um that's definitely one of the things that we encounter from the public um but when you know once you're if you're communicating with the investigator you know sometimes we will tell you you know like we're not going to be there for two or three hours you know go ahead and give the dog water like that's fine okay. you know and we'll just you know annotate that in our notes that yeah. the neighbor was feeding and still it's in this condition. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the bigger problems we have too is, you know, removing the animal. Right. Um, you know, that's, it's Big still, no -no. still called theft. Um, cause again, animals are property. Yep. Um, so if you decide that you're going to hop a fence and take a dog or an animal, uh, and bring it over so you can care for it, well, what you've done is against the law. Um, mm -hmm. we would definitely ask you not to do that. And that, that does ruin our case because now if we think about if we think about that case going for a judge, and if I was the initial suspect, well, I'm going to say my dog was fine when until you took it, and yeah. now it's in this condition. Yeah. That's going to be hard. Um, so please, we, we ask the public, please don't do that. So you need to be able to document them in the original Correct. conditions. And, okay. and there are there are cases, as, you know, I, I try to think of, you know, primarily with, with apartment complexes. Um, maintenance person is going through a recently abandoned uh, unit, they go in, there's a dog. Yeah. Well, their first thought is to remove the dog and, you know, bring it to, you know, the main office or whatever it is. Right. Um, again, not ideal, but, you know, we just need to know all of that information so we can put it in our report to, you know, so we can set the scene of, of how this happened and where it was found and why wasn't it here and, yeah. you know, what were the conditions and then we'll just need to get a, you know, a sworn statement from him. You know, let's say if, if he found the dog locked inside a bathroom yeah. where there was no food and no water, you know, we need to get a statement that says that to, to help with the case to make sure it does get elevated and prosecuted to the furthest extent. Yeah. So that is a plea <clears throat> to our audience um, because I know the temptation is to break into somebody's yard, to sure. pick them up. It, it's it seems like in the moment the right thing to do. And then it's very easy to say, well, I filed a cruelty report. And, you know, the task force, the SPCA said they had no case, but I'm handing the dog to them. Well, yeah. you have possession of the animal now. So please stop stealing dogs. I know it's it's hard, um, but in order to actually have the outcome that we envision as the right outcome, whether that is, you know, it's rehomed or the person is fined, taken to jail, whatever, um, investigators have to be able to see the animal in those conditions and document it yes. and legally seize them. Yes, please. <laughs> so that they are following chain of evidence, essentially. Yes. Okay. Um, that is that 
to that is a I had a personal experience with someone screaming at me when they brought me a dog and said, I know whose dog this is and he doesn't take care of it and has a broken leg. And I said, you got to put the dog back or the cruelty investigators can't do anything mm -hmm. about it. And it's a very uncomfortable position for the professionals to be in because we know as animal lovers that we'd like to be able to help them immediately. Yes. But from a legal standpoint. And, and we will still help the animal. Right. But your if your outcome of your successful outcome was prosecution, it might have been ruined. Right. Exactly. Yes, that is a very good point. You're not going to say, oh, can't do anything yep. about it now. Yeah, put it back and leave it now. We'll help it. But we'll get the animal care. But yeah, yeah the, the criminal case is definitely gone. It's gone. Maybe okay. civilly, maybe, but. It, it just all depends. Well, this has been very enlightening. Um, even having been in this industry for a long time, I still learned some new things about the process. And hopefully um, our friends, our followers, and, and fellow animal lovers have also learned what it takes for a cruelty report to become the outcome that is best for the animal, whatever that looks like. Um, and and I think that this will hopefully help people make better cases for y'all, understanding what you need to know. Um, so maybe it'll make your jobs easier as investigators. Um, thank you for you and for your team for everything that y'all do for the animals of of the Gulf Coast, essentially, and, and beyond. Um, we are fortunate to have a... a probably more than most um, cities and counties have uh, in in defense of our animals. So Absolutely. thank you for that. And um, well, thank you for the invite too. Oh, appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, this has been Conversations for the Animals. Always good to catch up with an old friend. Thank yes. you all so much for joining and we'll see you next time.